phone and get it. And it's Christian Service by Ellen White. And this chapter that we're, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the chapter we're in is chapter one officially, but the sub chapter is women as missionaries. So it's women as missionaries. And we'll go ahead and start with the word of prayer. Most honorable Father, in the blessed name of Jesus, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your goodness and graciousness, Lord. We ask that you will be with us, open our minds, open our hearts, give us new ways, needs, and ideas of hearing and understanding your word so that we may apply it to our lives, to our hearts, and that we will not sin against you, Lord, so that we may be saved. In Jesus' name, we pray and praise you always. Amen. Amen. Okay, and we're looking at this chapter, Women as Missionaries. Uh, what is a missionary anyway? Anybody have a definition for a missionary? Yeah, they go and tell people about Christ. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody else? They can be volunteers. They're the hand of Christ. Same difference. What did you, you say, Alvin? It's the hands and feet of Jesus. Okay. If I tell my neighbor about Christ, am I a missionary? Yeah. Yes. Don't missionaries have to go across the sea? Yeah, you're only, you're only, you call yourself a missionary, but you're a real one when you go across sea. You're a real one, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A real one when you talk to your husband or your daughter or your cousins. Anybody about Christ? That's a real. You got to start to see, but no, you're a missionary everywhere. If you're talking about Christ, you can be a missionary, like you say, in your home, talk to your family. Right. right. And you know what? That's a real missionary right there because you know what does the Bible say? A man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. So we're not going to tell our families, but go across to the sea, which. A lot of people do um, in a different way. A lot of people are missionaries outside of the home and hell raises in the home. Yep. So we, we want to be true and genuine missionaries because we're missionaries wherever we go, in the home, across the seas, across the street, or, you know, even in the quietness of our, of our bedrooms where we're praying for people. That's a job. Yeah, so anyone can be a missionary. Anyone can... <clears throat> you can be a missionary anywhere. You don't have to go around the world to be a missionary. What, uh, the term missionary means one who goes on a mission. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Go ye therefore. He's sending us on a mission to go and tell somebody about his love for them and about his sacrifice for our sins. So we can all be missionaries. This chapter is specifically speaking to women as missionaries. And we know that this uh, book written by Sister White was back in the 1800s. Why does she feel like she needed to do a chapter specifically for women? Why do you think she made a chapter specifically for women as missionaries? Are women the only people that should be missionaries? No, I guess she wanted to make it plain, plain that women, female can be missionary, not just men. And that they have a special part in sharing the mission, sharing the, uh, the gospel. Okay, so including women as missionaries, uh, what was going on at that time period? 
that she would need to specifically say women can do this. Mm. I don't know. I'm trying to. So uh, women weren't allowed to vote. Um, women were basically just considered chattel property. Right. Back in 1800s, women <clears throat> were pretty much relegated to having children and raising the children and taking care of the home. So Sister White's making it clear <clears throat> that women can also be missionaries. I mean, you know, they're not, there's nothing stopping a woman from sharing the truth of God to her friends, neighbors, or relatives, or whoever she runs into. So specifically to women to let them know they are very useful and they can be useful to Christ as missionaries. And it says, women as well as men can engage in the work of hiding the truth where it can work out and be made manifest. So we already recognized that there were plenty of men who were missionaries. You know, the founders of the church were missionaries. and But she's saying women as well as men. So many times we think that only men can be missionaries. Only men can be pastors. Only men can be elders. Only men can do this. Only men can do that. But she's letting the women know you can take a place in the work of Christ and that the Lord can work through you as well. So as I, have, through me. I have a quick question because that first sentence doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Women as well as men can engage in the work of hiding the truth where it can work out and be made manifest. What 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 do you take that to mean? Okay, anyone read that? What'd you come up with? Well, I'm thinking when they talk about hiding, I'm thinking about hiding it in their heart where it can um you know, become it can grow, and then you'll see an outward expression of it in their work. That's what I would say. Oh, okay. Okay, excellent. Anybody else want to add anything to that? Okay, I think that does a good job of summing it up. We are called to hide the word in our heart, hide the love of Christ in our heart, and then to share it with others. So that's what it's talking about. It says. They can take their place in the work at this crisis, and the Lord will work through them. If they're imbued with a sense of duty and labor under the influence of the Spirit of God, they will have just the self-possession required for this time. The Savior will reflect upon these self-sacrificing women, the light of his countenance, and this will give them a power that will exceed that of men. What do you think of that? What do, what do you, how, how is it that women can receive, how is it that women can have a power that exceeds the work of men? No, they talk about the, um, the male um, characteristics of the male and the woman. I mean, I've heard this in different services, sermons and stuff. And whereas the woman is soft and, her, and flexible even in her physical appearance and men are hard and uh, more firm and not as flexible. And that to me means kind of, forgive me, any men who are on the line, the men are kind of hard-headed and it takes a little bit more to get them to that place where they do what God tells them to do. Whereas a woman who is accustomed to children and accustomed to having to have her, her day schedule changed and stuff because she has children who has to listen, you know, um, 
and use what we call womanly intuition. Because, you know, if you have children, you got to keep your, your ears and eyes open, your ears open and be aware, especially small kids, because you got to know what they up to at all times so that they won't hurt themselves. So I think in a way it's, it has to do with the usual, the general characteristic of a man. And well, not all women are not like that and all men aren't that way, but in general, women tend to be a little bit more, I think, receptive of the spirit of God and willing to follow and obey and turn on a dime. Whereas men be kind of, you know, like dog, I had to go around the corner because they, it was a traffic jam, you know, and all that good stuff. Okay. Anyone else want to add to that? How, how is it that women can do, um, have more power that will exceed that of a man in terms of missionary? Let me ask you ladies this. Are, are mothers somehow closer to the children than fathers? A little, I think they are. I don't think that's like true. Do they have a connection that men don't have? When they're little, I think so. When when kids are small, I think that women, you know, they've carried this baby for what nine, ten months, and some kind of way in all of that, you feel you are connected to that baby, and you will fight fiercely for that baby, for that child, that small child. You will do a lot for that baby, and I'm not for sure that men. I don't know if their connection, your connection to Holly. Well, she I, was born. I think you hit on, on the real principle of it, that women have carried the baby for nine months. Men never carry babies, so they have that physical connection that we can never have with them. And there is that maternal instinct that women have that men can't have or don't have. But, so this next paragraph well, is... Hold it, on for a moment. But it's more than, than the 10 months that you carry. It's baby on the brain. I don't know, you know, if you had children, when you have a baby, I mean, your every thought, your every move is like what my baby doing and stuff, you know. If you nurse a baby, you know that baby is hungry. The baby does not have to cry because you 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 feel it in your breast that the baby is hungry and stuff, you know. You just have this connection, this God-given connection, I believe. Uh, we can call it womanly intuition, but it's a little deeper than that. I remember in um, La Leche League, I went to La Leche League meetings, and they talked about when a woman and her husband was resuming the conjugal visits, you know, in their marriage, and how the babies wake up. And they were saying that when your attention is taken away from that infant, when there's something else between you and that baby, it will wake up because it feels that break now. It's, it's weird, but I found that to be true, too, with small kids. As soon as you start doing something, they want to wake up and get busy and this and that. So, you know. <laughs> and then, too, I'm sure we've all heard stories of the mother who says she just felt something in her heart when one of her children got mm-hmm. hurt outside the house or something. And that's when they grown people, right? They can yeah. be grown. And, you know, they say, you know, I that morning I woke up out of my sleep and I knew something was wrong. Yeah. So there is a connection that women have with babies and, and it's a God-given connection. And that's why also there's a God-given connection where the Lord says women can do in families a work that men cannot do, a work that reaches the inner life. They can come close to the hearts of those whom men cannot reach. So there are some people that men just can't reach. 
whatever the reason, but women can reach them. Just like there are some people that I might be able to reach that Lakita can't reach, somebody that Alvina can reach that Patsy can't reach, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but every one of us, our work is needed to spread the gospel message. So it says discreet, humble women can do a good work explaining the truth to the people in their homes. And then she says, the word of God thus explained will do its leavening work. So it's not anything human that the woman is doing other than being involved and allowing the Lord to use her. The power is in the word of God. And it's through that influence that entire families can be converted. So uh, women are being uh, mentioned that y'all have a special work that God can do. It says on paragraph 27.3, all who work for God should have the Martha and the Mary attributes blended together. What's the Martha attribute, anybody? Or what's the Mary attribute? Well, the Martha attribute was just working all the time. But the Mary attribute was sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. Okay, so Martha attribute a willingness to minister to others. Remember, Martha was trying to fix dinner and clean up and do all that ministering. Mm -hmm. And Mary, meanwhile, was listening because she had a sincere love of the truth. So if we combine those, a love of God's truth and a willingness to minister to others, that's going to make a huge difference. It says God calls for earnest women workers, workers who are prudent, warm-hearted, tender, and true to principle. How will those attributes help a person be a good missionary? Prudent, warm-hearted, tender, true to principle. How would that help you to be a good missionary? I think those characteristics should be for both men and women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely are. This uh, this paragraph, this chapter is just speaking to the women, but yeah, all these things are definitely for both. Anyone else? How how is being prudent helping you to be a missionary? or warm-hearted and tender? Well, I think about the fact of how, how Jesus ministered. He ministered to people's needs first, which means you have to see what their needs are. And you have to care about what their needs are first. And so okay. I think attributes help with that. Anyone else? Prudent, warm-hearted, tender, true to principle. I think in terms of, and I guess I, I think in terms of education, I can have a plan or a lesson plan, but if a child comes in there and they're hungry, they haven't had enough sleep, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they're going to comprehend what I'm trying to get across to them. But if I say, I'm going to feed you breakfast and get some, you know, give you a piece of fruit, get something in your stomach, then that, that, and that little child tends to, okay, I'm ready to learn. So I think, you know, with the tenderness, knowing that you got to meet their needs and where they are, that leads them to build a relationship with you. Then you can continue to say, Holy Spirit, continue to help them grow as I lead them into the Word of God. So I think it has to be compassion for, you know, for them, too, at where the point they are in their lives. Amen. 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 And also true to principle, principle of God's Word. 
uh, all of us should be laboring for conversion of souls. You know, that's our greatest privilege is to labor for conversion of souls to Christ's kingdom. It says on 28.2, there are noble women who have had moral courage to decide in favor of the truth from the weight of evidence. Have you noticed any lack of moral courage in the world today? Do people really stand up for moral values anymore? Well, not most, but God will always have a remnant. Okay. Paula, what were you going to say? Oh, politically, the GOP. Um, a lot of women have stood up and testified against the 45 cult, I'll just say, or the big lie. And men who are their seniors uh, don't have the courage to speak out publicly. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I don't know if it's courage or if they've got an agenda, a political agenda, and they're riding the coattails of what they think will be a ship that doesn't sink, a uh, 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 um, Titanic. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but the men don't even have that. You know, they can't even see. You know, to me, it's like if if Trump gets in there, he'll try to change things to a dictator, and they'll go down to Jared and his daughter and their family, all that kind. Of, that's what he would really like a kingdom, you know. Right. But the other people around him don't seem to understand. If he gets that, y'all get nothing. Right, right. So they don't even have that that you know, like the vision that I need to be taking care of myself. They don't right. have that. Right. It takes a lot of moral courage just to live in society today because so many people don't have the moral courage and they're constantly urging you to lose your moral courage and do what they're doing and just lack all type of moral value. But we have to stand up for what's right. And the Lord is saying there are noble women, men and women, who have had moral courage to decide in favor of the truth from the weight of the evidence. They have conscientiously accepted the truth. They have tact, perception, good ability, and will make successful workers for the master. So it's very important to have moral courage because you're run, when you're out witnessing, doing missionary work, you'll run into all kinds of uh, issues. You'll run into all kinds of situations. You'll run into all kinds of beliefs that people have. And you have to be able to say, no, that's not right. That's not the right thing to do. That's not the right thing to believe. And you have to stand up for what's right, even as it says, when the majority may forsake you. You know what? Let me tell well, you. Well, you know, Elder Carroll, I think too, sometimes people won't take that moral side. And especially if, let me just say, if it's another church member and you say, look, uh, brother, this is not what you should be, you know, doing or thinking at this time about that individual or whatever. They have, I think it's the thing that, you know, people don't want to be excluded. And sometimes taking that moral role means that you're going to be excluded. Mm-hmm. It's not because you think you're better than they are, but you've spoken up. You say, well, thus said the Lord, and you're not, you know, that's not right. And I can't go along with you when you're doing that. Because I see you lose a lot of good friends, whether they're church members or not, because mm-hmm. they, in their mind, you, you know, you've been my friend for so long, so you ought to agree with me, and it doesn't work like that. <laughs> That's true. Very good. That's really true. You, my friend, just agree with whatever I'm doing, huh? no matter what. So yeah. let me tell this little quick story. Mm-hmm. So I had someone come into my office and we were, I was doing her case for her. And her husband had had a sudden death 
in his family. His, his younger brother had been killed in a car accident. And he had already lost his mother and father earlier, you know, natural causes. And so he was really, really, really in a bad way over it, you know, over losing his brother like that. He was a, he, his, so he and his brother were the last two remaining immediate family members of his family. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to his wife. She was in my office. And of course, we were dealing with her business or whatever. And then she started telling me the story. And she said, um, she said, well, she said, I don't know if it was last night or a couple of days before or whatever. She said, um, we were asleep in the bed, she said. And in the middle of the night, the TV just came on. And so she said, we turned it off. And then we kind of fell back to sleep. She said, and it came right back on again. She said, and I told my husband, that's your brother. He's communicating with you. And um, so I was in a dilemma, right? I'm like, okay, this is a professional consultation here. Do I leave it at that and let her go out of here with that belief in her, in her mind? Or do I say something? And the Holy Spirit said, you better say something because you may never have a chance to do it again. You may never even see her again, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I did, I said something. So how did it end? Um, you know, she just kind of listened to what I had to say, you know, but, um, and I, I pointed out some scriptures, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't know what she did. I haven't seen her since then. So I don't know what she did with that information, but I was like, no, that's not <laughs> his brother trying to communicate with him. What did you say? Huh? What did she say? She just listened. Okay. You're like, no, that's a demon girl. Don't mm, girl. <laughs> well, no, you do hear a lot of stories about people who's, who uh, have lost a loved one. Then they're sitting, maybe they're sitting thinking of something outside and a bird comes and lands in front yep. of them and they say, oh, that's my sister that passed away. A sign from her or something. Yeah, yeah. that happened in my family, except mine was a butterfly. Yeah not a bird <laughs> yeah people are really looking for some relief from pain they're looking for comfort yeah and they're looking for yeah. something to say okay well they're not really gone yeah they're really gone yeah and it's something to ease the pain to just think oh my sister looking down on me and sent this butterfly and that's her you know yeah everybody's hurting and looking for a way out of the pain but you know what though that's that's still another part of the, the lie thou shalt not really that so they're mm-hmm. not really dead. They're just in another form out there somewhere. And they're trying to let you know they're in another form. Yeah, and their entire religion's built on that. So, mm-hmm. which brings us to this next paragraph, 28.3, because it talks about um, women of firm principle and decided character can really have a big impact in the tract and missionary work, you know, handing out tracts. But it says uh, scattering the tracts and judiciously distributing the signs of the times. So judiciously, like you said in your historic example, Karen, you have to listen and let the Lord tell you what to do and when to do it. Uh, because, you know, this printing up those signs of the times costs a lot of money and the tracks didn't cost as much. So they might really hand out a lot of tracks, but have to make a decision with this person you know, are they interested in the signs? Would they read it? Is this a waste of our 
missionary yeah. funds, but you got to let the Lord lead because we don't know on our own. We don't, we can't tell, but God can lead you like he did with your example and say, sure, give this person one or no, don't give that person one or whatever. But as we always say in this class, we have to get to where we know God's voice for ourselves. I think on here too, where it says women of firm principle and decided character. You know, when I go into a, um, a home, most of the time it was women when I was going in homes. And then when there was a husband in the home, I always made sure that I connected myself with the wife. I did not spend time alone with that man. I did not, you know, address him. I did not, you know, because it's so easy to overlook a woman. Sometimes women will take um, a, um, a lesser position in, in, the, in the presence of her, of her husband, a more quiet space, if you will, you know, and stuff. And it's easy for you to overlook that. But ultimately, for me, and not to offend anybody else, ultimately, the power of me getting back in that house is left with the woman because the men are not usually that involved with children's um, therapy and stuff. So I always made my connection with that female. And I think women have always, uh, you know, they seem to appreciate that, you know, when she talks about moral, uh, decided character and firm principle, people want to know that you're a stand-up person and that you are not going to hurt them in any way. You know, even coming into people's house, I could report them, you know, for something they may be doing wrong or something, you know. So people are really leery about mm -hmm. letting you in. You have to uh, gain people trust. And that's very important that your principles and, and you conduct yourself above or above reproach when you go around women and their husbands and their children. You have to do that. So that because if she doesn't want you there, you will not. And that, again, is part of that moral courage that we're talking about to stand up for what's right and to be a good example of Christ. Uh, look at paragraph 28.4. This is interesting. She says, she writes, I do not recommend that women should seek to become a voter or an office holder, but then talks about missionary work. Why do you think that was mentioned like that? Because of that time period. I wonder what she would think of this time period. What was what was going on at the time period? You couldn't vote. Women couldn't vote. Even not to even seek office, you couldn't even vote. I think I think because women had no influence and no power of influence at that time uh, in the political arena or elsewhere. But but they would have power and influence in the home. Like if you went to visit your neighbor or you know your kids had a play date or whatever. You know, you have that influence and you don't have anybody around that is disparaging that influence, you know, because the man is out mm -hmm. working or whatever. And so you really you're more freer in that in that circumstance. Okay. And another thing, too, is like um, because women were probably trying to fight for rights or, or going in that direction anyway, um, she didn't want the cause of God, you know, this Advent message to get entangled with, you know, the political messages and stuff. So I think in a way she was saying, steer clear of that so that you can, you know, be able to have a, a, your sphere of influence in the home. But, you know, there's that saying, Karen, that it says the 
the one who rocks the cradle is the one who rules the world. And I don't think that we as women really look, look at that, uh, what, what would you call the informal power that we have? And we, we underestimate our power that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back at this time period, this was written in 1878. So uh, there were women who were starting to uh, desire to vote. And they were, you know, protesting and doing all type of things to get involved in politics. So um, women finally got their right to vote in 1918, but it was only for women 30 years and older. No, it was only for white women. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even counting black women <laughs> yet. <laughs> 1918, just talking about the majority society. And then in 1919, it was given to all women. Uh, not black women yet. Then, then blacks were given the vote in 1965, mm-hmm. and we still had to keep fighting even today. Still fighting mm-hmm. for an honest uh, ability to vote without being held back by rules and laws and foolishness. So, as Lakita had mentioned, she didn't want the cause of God to get mixed in to all the turmoil that was going on at that time, and recognizing that yeah, voting is important, but Eternal life is at stake. Well, well, also, too, if you're looking at it from a political standpoint, you know, you might not want this Christian, um, this new babe Christian belief um, to be affiliated with one um, political system. So if it was a Democrat that was leaning in that direction, then this church could have been, you know, um, be considered just like, you know, what is that Christian movement with the GOP? you know, conservative Christians, you know, religious, right, whatever it is. But she, I I don't think she wanted it to be seen as a Democrat type of um, uh, uh, denomination or a Mm -hmm. Republican denomination. She just wanted it to be more, that's kind of um, worldwide for God's soul of the world. So this message is to go to all the world. (laughs) not any certain groups of people, but to everyone. And then it says, if there were, now look, listen at this, if there were 20 women where there is now one who would make this holy mission their cherished work, we should see many more converted to the truth. Um, paragraph 28.7 says, uh, let's see, talking about hundreds of our sisters might be at work today if they would dress themselves and their children with simplicity and neat, durable garments, free from adornment and devote the time they have spent in needless display to missionary work. That letters may be written to friends at a distance. And now that also counts as, you know, we can still email our family and friends and people about Christ. You know, we don't have to just be stuck wondering what our, you know, like if you went to somebody with, uh, went to school with someone you can write them an email to say, hey, how are you doing? And then, you know, as we've always said, um, be more friendly, mingle with people. Then later on, get to the point where you can share the love of God with them, you know, so don't feel like distance stops you. And then it also says money can be saved to present an offering to God to be invested in papers and tracts to send to our friends. Let each sister who claims to be a child of God feel a responsibility to help all within her reach. 
Very interesting. It says our sisters have been too willing to excuse themselves from bearing responsibilities which require thought and close application of the mind. What do you think about that sense that some sisters have been too willing to excuse themselves from any responsibility that requires thought and close application of the mind? What do you think of that? Well, I think women were not rewarded for being smart, you know? Um, and if it, it wasn't in their best interest almost to, if you were smart, that would that was kind of like something that would kind of against you and not for you back in the day. So well, you, yeah, and you couldn't get a husband if you were always talking over the men and all of that. They're not likely to, you know. Mm -hmm. That was the game and the, that was the goal and aim of women during that period of time is to get somebody that will take care of you. Yeah. So there's still people out there like that today. And then it just becomes easy, you know, when. It's easy when you don't have to make the decisions, you know, these big, hard decisions, you know, about if we're going to vote for, you know, like uh, women's rights, you know, abortion or not. It, and have to tussle with all those different types of um, things that issues that play into that. Well, it's easier to put that off on somebody else and, and not be worried about it. You know, all I have to worry about is the fluff in my dress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there's still a lot of pe lot of men who just looking for what they call trophy wives just to look good, but that's it. Don't get involved in the discussion. Don't use your brain for anything. But what kind of life would that be if you can't use the brain that God gave you? I mean, you, you got all these thoughts and opinions. You have every right to voice them. But if you married somebody who doesn't want you to speak up, that's going to be a terrible life. Go ahead. Don't you think there's a level of peace for a man if the woman don't talk? <laughs> I'm gonna stay out of that one. And then he walked out of the room. <laughs> yeah, I bet he did. They <laughs> got <laughs> thank God created us with a mind that that wants stimulation and that wants to discuss things of a high high nature you know nobody wants to be an idiot nobody wants to act like an idiot either and that for, as she's saying for so, far too long many women have allowed themselves to be treated that way but that's not what god wants for from any of us he wants us to use the brains that he's given us and if you have a person who doesn't appreciate your intelligence then you probably need to be looking for someone else to spend your time with mm -hmm. You said a husband or a wife, either one. Well, but it's too late. They married. You ain't telling them to leave each other. Uh, you can't. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, What'd you say? Albina. You're not telling them to leave each other. You said you better off spending your time with someone, someone else, or something else. No, I say that men and women should appreciate one another's intelligence. That's oh, what I I'm saying. Husband and wife. We should appreciate each other's intelligence husbands and wives should appreciate each other's intelligence as well and for many for far too long husbands don't appreciate their wives and wives don't appreciate their husbands intelligence and that if you are with somebody that's not appreciating you you need to do some serious praying and if you're not married to that person you might want to be looking elsewhere because okay. that would be a terrible situation to be stuck in yeah, okay. 
Good looking out for us, I mean. Right? Let's look at the last paragraph is 29.2, and it says, sisters did not become weary of vigilant missionary labor. This is a work that you may all engage in successfully if you will but connect with God. So we're, uh, not to get weary of doing God's uh, missionary work. And then it also says on the next sentence, before writing letters of inquiry, before you write a letter to someone speaking about the Lord or before you write a letter asking someone how's their life with Christ or whatever, always lift your heart up to God in prayer. Always start with prayer so that God can lead you and guide you in whatever you're about to say to somebody. Because we think we know what to say. We might end up hurting a person's feeling or driving them away. But if we pray, God will give us the words to speak that are going to touch the person's heart. And his Holy Spirit will be there uh, with you and with the person that reads your letter. Has anyone ever written uh, pen pal letters or letters to people who are incarcerated or anything like that? No. When I was younger, I used to write letters to my friends. No, to writing letters to people in jail. No. <laughs> yeah, there's a you know there are there are groups and departments that do that letters to those incarcerated, letters to sick and shut in, letters sure. to people in nursing homes. You know, it's just nice when you're feeling down yeah. and out to get a nice encouraging letter from someone. Uh, mm -hmm. And especially if they're talking about the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on that? What other type of missionary outreach can you do or can we do? Aside from writing letters or tracts, what other type of missionary outreach can we do? We can visit the sick. Um, we can visit the people in prisons. Um, there's a lot more we can do. Um, when, when I was over um, personal ministries, I tried to have us go out like once a month just in the neighborhood and say, is there anything we can do for you? You know? Mm -hmm. When it's hot like this, if you had a cooler full of waters and you went down near the homeless people or folks that just were out and, you know, didn't have a place to stay and it's hot out, you know, just hand out some waters and you know, kind of minister to their needs. Mm -hmm. That's good. Anything else? What other missionary activities can we engage in? There's so much. I mean, you know, we have to ask God for a selfless spirit. I'll put it like that. Because mm -hmm. then he'll point out all kinds of things that, that we can do. Just, just, just even, even not even going out of our way during our day, mm -hmm. you know, just along the way. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in fact, that brings us to the last sentence. It says, all who with humble hearts. So when we humble ourselves and listen to God's voice, all who with humble hearts take part in this work will be continually educating themselves as workers in the vineyard of the Lord. So that's an area where we can learn more, where we can um, work out better ways of doing things, work out more efficient and effective methods of outreach you know we shouldn't just do it once and give up and say that's all we can do but continually learn how to do better how to reach more people 
how to impact people's lives more, how to include different uh, functions or different issues in the missionary outreach. There's all kinds of things that you can do. And it's in the, in the home, in the community, in the church, in the schools, wherever you come, wherever you go, you can continually ask God to bless you with ways to reach people. One of the, one of the missionary uh, activities that I'm working on is uh, for our tenants who rent from us to just have a free subscription to some of our magazines. You know, it just comes to the house. They don't have to pay for it, but it's full of great information. You know, it might make a difference in their lives. And also, Latita mentioned the uh, backpack blessings. Uh, that's another missionary outreach. This time it's an outreach to the children at, at the church. But there are so many different ways. We can't think of all the ways, but God will lead us. And that's why, so mm -hmm. that's why also God has appointed each one of us to be a missionary where we are. We don't have to go overseas and, and he's going to put different, we have different gifts and different talents. And so he's going to put different ideas in our minds that, that we are individually capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm sure God has given every one of us a thought on somehow, some way or a method that we can outreach, but uh, don't get, don't be afraid. Again, as was mentioned, moral courage is necessary, and some uh, uh, some doing away with self and willingness to serve God. That's what it takes to be a good missionary. A love for the truth and a willingness to minister. So as we continue to pray and ask God for those blessings. Uh, he's going to open doors for us to reach out to people, and when He opens the door for us, let's just happily walk through and know that God is going to bless our efforts and crown it with success. Amen. 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 Right. Uh, Karen, what are we studying next week? So we are in testimonies for the church volume one, and we're going to be studying chapter 90. Uh, repeat that for us again. Um, testimonies for the church. Mm-hmm. Volume one, okay. and we are studying chapter 99, and I will give you the title in just one second. Uh, the Health Institute, that's the name of that chapter. Chapter 91. 99. 99. The Health Institute. Okay. Okay. The Health Institute. Okay, with that, we'll close out with a word of prayer, and then we'll go offline. Dear Lord, we thank you once again for a beautiful uh, opportunity to study your word, to learn more of thee. We ask that your Holy Spirit will continue to be with us throughout the, the today and throughout the rest of this upcoming week. We ask, dear Lord, that you allow us to be faithful missionaries, reaching out to people in the name of Jesus and sharing his love with all whom we come in contact with. In the blessed name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. All right. Amen. Thanks for everyone joining in. Tune in again next week for discipleship class.